thank you to everyone that has tuned in thus far and has helped make 52 Weeks of Hustle such a success. I've had such a great time sitting down with industry leaders. Thank you to the leaders and for all the listeners and your continued support. I'm excited to have joined General Sports Worldwide, where Lou DePauli and I will be focusing on executive search and team consulting. Our services will range from recruiting, onboarding, training, development, business planning, consulting, and much more. We're really looking to be a full service agency for our clients to assist them in their return on investment and return on energy. Please let me know if you have any interest. In addition, thank you for everyone that has supported the book, Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales, a playbook to be an elite in the sports business industry. It's available on Amazon in ebook, paperback, and audio versions. Be sure to check out 52weeksofhustle.com as well as to follow on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle. I'm Travis Apple, and I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry, and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to those individuals that want to get in this business, or for those that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name. Each week, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career growth what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week, Just Sell. That is the mentality you need to have in this business. And our next guest started selling at a young age, began his career selling sponsorship, then moved to premium seating, and now oversees it all. I'm excited to have our next guest, Chris Barney, Chief Revenue Officer for the Utah Jazz. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Trav. Good to see you, man. Always a pleasure, Chris, and very excited to have you and really looking forward to talking about your career path. And let's start by taking a look at your career over the last few years. You were promoted to chief revenue officer just over a year ago, which was around the same time the new ownership group took over the Utah Jazz that is led by Ryan Smith and also includes Dwayne Wade. So how's the last year been a transitions for you? Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely been, I, I would say, I, I've felt... Um, there's been an acceleration of what we've tried to do, like pushing the envelope, um, the pressures ratcheted up there. These are all really, really good things. Um, so certainly there's been some transition. It's been really unique to, uh, talk with a new owner about how we price tickets, how we're engaging partners. I had one really unique moment where my door was closed to my office. There's a knock on the door. The door opens. It's Ryan poking his head in and Dwayne Wade pokes his head in after that. And then uh, ended up spending 90 minutes talking about how we price tickets, uh, which it's really an interesting conversation to be having with D Wade. So um, anyway, it's been it's been really fun. That's awesome. And you kind of talked about pushing the envelope. And, you know, now even during that time with the pandemic, you and the team have been out in the forefront of a lot of initiatives, including growing both sponsorship and ticketing revenue, not by a little bit, by a ton. And so what do you feel like you and the team have done to have so much success, you know, even with all the outside, you know, kind of effects? Yeah, I, I think it's like you kind of have to ground yourself to what you know works. And, we're coming at, you know, with, with the great resignation we've all read about, about people changing employment. When you really start to build a sales campaign and you look at who the executives are, you're going to go chase, who the decision makers are. Not only has there been turnover at our company, most of these partners we're going to try and chase and sell to, there's been turnover there. Yep. 
And so there's almost this like re-romancing of the market where you have to go back out and tell your story to people. I mean, if we're being completely honest, it's been two full years of this almost now. And so with people changing jobs, like we've got a completely different story that we're selling and talking to people about with the state of Utah and the basketball team we have playing on the floor than we would have two years ago. And so it's battening down the hatches, making sure your, your sales campaigns are dialed, making sure that you've got the, the right target list on the partnership end, and then really attacking those, um, you know, in a strategic manner. So that, that's kind of what it's been. I, I wouldn't say there, there's been a silver bullet. It's just been a level of activity that's really, I think, energized not only our team, but our, our markets felt it as well. And Chris, I know you and I have talked in the past about the importance of storytelling. And and as you sit in the chair of the chief revenue officer role now, and you're overseeing both sponsorship and ticketing and premium, what are some of those similar approaches from a story and also a sales approach towards selling all of those products? Yeah, I would say, you know, every time you go out to sell something or to tell someone a story, you've really got to anchor yourself kind of to three pillars. I've had a lot of marketing people over the years talk to me about this. One in particular who's led several companies through a roadshow ultimately to go to IPO. And he's a phenomenal storyteller. And every one of these pitches, you should have three goals. On the front end, you need to make sure whoever you're pitching notices you. While you're pitching them, you need to make sure they actually believe you and what you're selling. And then on the back end, you've got to do something to be memorable or be remembered. And so every each one of those, when you go into a pitch and you're ultimately trying to get to, to walk away and have a partner say, yes, I want to spend money with you, you've got to curate the entire experience around noticed, believed, and remembered. And so, again, it's, it's not brain surgery, and you, you really try and curate the experience directly to them and what you know makes sense for them. It's everything from like, having them park in the back lot before the pitch, all the signage in the arena is a takeover. We're literally pitching people at half court of our building and giving them an experience where it's, we've moved them around in the arena. Part of the pitch might be on the court level. Part of it might be on the concourse. Part of it might be in a suite. And so it's, it's, again, I'm going to use this phrase. It's curating an experience around what, you know, their product is. We had one awesome pitch with a company um, that, that sells fragrances. And part of our pitch was for them to put their fragrance machines in our restrooms on our concourse. Nice. Well, the portion where we pitched them, it was on our concourse outside of one of the restrooms. It sounds crazy, right? They, they, they thought it was they so cool yep. because it was, it was pointing directly to what they were trying to do. No, and I love that idea, even, you know, from a broader term to curate the pitch, right? No matter who you're selling to, you could sell to a B2C, you could sell, be selling a, a school group, you could be selling a premium suite, you could be selling a sponsorship, you're, you're curating that pitch to everybody and you're tailor fitting that package. So great advice there. And, you know, Chris, along those lines, it's, you know, you, you kind of lay down the right process before you get to the right process you focus a lot on people. And I know that's people has always been so important to you. And there's a lot of different personalities when it comes to sponsorship and ticketing and premium. And so what is your advice to listeners on leading people with different roles and priorities? 
Yeah, I, I say to my leadership all the time, and I obviously mean this figurative, figuratively, not literally, that they need to learn their people's love language. Yeah. And like I look at the people who report to me and each one of them responds to a love language dramatically different. Yep. There are some that cash is the only thing that matters. <laughs> right. There are some that if I spend time um, really going over the top, praising their efforts in front of our president, like that is a huge deal to them. And it actually means more than cash. And so if, if you don't know your people and don't know their specific love language, I think it's really hard to lead them. Um, and so that, that's one thing I, I would say, knowing what intrinsically motivates people. Um, we, I'm going to use this word way too many times, Travis, and you're going to be like, okay, everyone take a shot when Chris says experience. <laughs> but it's funny because since Ryan bought the team, Qualtrics was built on creating experiences for, for consumers. And so it really is, is something we talk about a lot. And so whether it's a customer experience or your employee experience, you've got to be highly, highly focused on that and every step of what that journey looks like from an employee or uh, a potential partner or an actual partner. Yep. And that's exactly what we sell, right, is experiences. So it all makes sense and comes together. And, you know, Chris, back to kind of your career path, you know, if there's such a thing as a typical career ladder, it's probably more the, hey, I'm going to work my way up through ticketing to premium to sponsorship. But you're opposite. As you started in sponsorship, you actually started with the Larry H. Miller Sports and Entertainment, which was the previous owner of the Jazz, amongst other properties. And you were selling radio ads. What were some key learnings from that experience that you still applied here every day? Yeah, man, that was an absolute grind. It's... <laughs> It is quite the experience. I was probably one of the last crops of salespeople that was handed a phone book and told good luck. Yep. And I happened to be the right age where I probably dodged at some point in time because it was right in the, the middle of the, the 2000, 2000, 2007, 2008 economic uh, hardships and recession, I probably dodged being laid off at multiple times. <laughs> and it's something to be out asking people for 20 or $25 for an, uh, a middle of the day radio spot. And at times you look around and say to yourself, man, what am I doing? <laughs> and it's, it takes a whole lot yep. of those 20 to $25 radio spots to pay the bills. But like, and, and I don't I, like it, that's what builds grit. That's what builds right. character. Like those are the, those lessons that I remember. Like I remember the first radio partnership I ever sold failed miserably. It failed miserably. And the partner was really upset about it. And I was upset about it because I was so proud I'd sold this thing. And, you know, you think over the course of 14 years of having experiences like that. And thankfully, I, I had bosses at the time that allowed me to fail a little bit. Yep. That when I was about to the 18 month mark, you know, I'd started selling television at that point in time. We also owned a chain of movie theaters and we'd started to kind of take all of the different properties that the Miller family owned and kind of push them into one that, that ultimately when they combined all of our sales teams and we were all sponsorship sellers selling all of our uh, cross platform properties, I felt really comfortable going and asking uh, people for money. And it, it, it became it, asking people for $285,000 for a partnership was the exact same as asking a small business for $285 for some right. radio. Yeah. 
And so it just, it, it builds character. It builds hustle. No pun intended to your podcast. I love it. It built, it builds some grit and I wouldn't trade that experience for anything in the world. And I think it goes to show too, having that passion for the craft, right? It's your passion for your craft and being the best you can be. And, and I love bringing up the yellow book. You know, I always think it's funny of, you know, I I used to prospect through the yellow book left and right. And I used, I still to this day in trainings will tell people like, I, I remember sitting Friday nights waiting for faxes to come through and people, you know, some of our young listeners look at us like, what, why would you do that? Um, so, you know, Chris, back to yours, you know, I'm sure you never imagined 14 plus years and counting, you'd still be within the same organization. And so obviously going through a different ownership, but what do you feel like the organization continues to do to retain top talent? Yeah. I mean, this is just, if it's, it's market factors coupled with the team and this is a phenomenal place to raise a family, Utah, Salt Lake city in particular, the market is evolving very, very quickly. It's the youngest market in the United States. I believe the last stat I saw was the average age in the United States is 38 and a half years old. And in Salt Lake city, it's 31 years old. And so we have like a very young, vibrant market. It's growing. The the tech boom that's happened here has provided incredible jobs for people. And so like I just look around, there's pressure on us to compete in the labor force. So our benefits have got better. Like the the, the company, just just being here with the employees that we have, we all feel like we genuinely have uh, a small piece of helping the, the jazz win an NBA championship. And so, and it is something we talk about, like we've at, we ask our ticket sales people, what are you doing to help the team win an NBA championship? Yep. And, you know, at, at a very, very low common denominator level, it's making sure the building's full. It's making right. sure that when you have a group night out, that that group is highly, highly engaged. They're cheering, they're excited to be there. And so, um, it's just a fantastic place to live. It's a fantastic place to work. Working for the Miller family was incredible. Ryan and Ashley Smith and our, and our new ownership group of kind of just the baton's been passed and all those cool characteristics that defined who we were before. We still have all those. And there's actually been a few things added upon. And um, so it, it, it's just, it's a great place to be. That's awesome. And, you know, Chris, you mentioned like, obviously the, the personal effects of, of living, you know, there in Utah and obviously the professional side. And I know you've had a ton of calls over the years for a variety of other roles and you've obviously stayed at the same organization, but I know you would always go through your due diligence and, and, and thoughtfulness about making those decisions. So what's your advice to listeners on what to think about when, you know, coming up with a decision of, here's another job, here's another location. Like what's your advice on making those difficult decisions? Yeah, I think, I mean, sometimes to move up, you've got to move out. I've heard that multiple times in my career. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's something we'll probably talk about a little bit later, but I would say every one of us at some point in time has to understand the relationship between risk and reward and what our own personal risk portfolio looks like. And I took a huge risk at one point in time. I had a phenomenal, I'd been working in the industry for eight years. I was a director of corporate partnerships. My boss was just super supportive of me and great. And I had an opportunity to do something else within the organization. I'm currently in my ninth role in 14 years. And so I've bounced around and done a lot of different things. And had I not bounced around, I probably would have bounced outside the organization, like to to get that fulfillment on doing something different. And so 
I, I think taking risks, like we've all got to look ourselves in the mirror. Trav, I look at your career, like you've taken some risks and you find yourself in a really great place because you've taken those risks. And so yep. understanding your risk tolerance and that relationship between risk and reward, I think is really important for everybody. And it's different for everybody. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Great advice. And you know, early on in your career, you, you started in the sponsorship world and started working your way up. You, beca- you ultimately became the director of sponsorship for the Utah Jazz, Salt Lake Bees, Miller Performance, Tour of Utah, Megaplex Theaters, KJZZ Television, and Zone Sports Network. And I'm almost out of breath, um, so I can only imagine selling and leading that. But you're know, all under the same umbrella. How did you focus on priorities and also then your packaging and cross-selling opportunities? Yeah, I mean, it was done through goal-setting. Um, largely like uh, some of those properties, we weren't required to generate the same amount of revenue, obviously. And so it it became a a matter of prioritization. That was always a challenge. I mean, even today we've got the jazz, we've got our G league team, we've got our gaming team and we've got a triple a baseball team. So even with the sell from the Millers to Ryan Smith, there's certainly uh, competing properties or competing, um, people are competing for our resources and our time. And we've even like one, we, we spoke about this morning, we've got the NBA all-star game in about uh, 15 months that will be in Salt Lake. And so there's energy and effort required towards that. And so I, I think it's, it's uh, making sure that people's goals are, are where they need to be. Obviously you need to make sure there's organizational alignment on what the strategy is with each one of those. And then I'd really say you got to make sure that the pacing at which you're trying to run to accomplish all of those goals. So alignment and pacing really need to make sure that they're on parallel tracks. If if the values and, and the goals of each one of those verticals aren't matching the pacing at which you're running, um, it's really hard to achieve success. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Chris Barney, Chief Revenue Officer for the Utah Jazz. And Chris, you mentioned you spend your first eight years of the organization in the sponsorship space, have a great boss, love what you're doing. And then you get the the ask to start and oversee a premium seating team during the renovation starting back in 2016. And what made that the right move for you? Yeah, Trav, I actually think that's how I met you originally, which it was, was it, it, it's kind of a fun anecdote. But yeah. I mean, what I would say is it was there, there were quite a few buildings that had just I think the spurs were one of the 
very undergo a pretty significant renovation. And so got to spend some time, you know, traveling around and going and seeing different venues that had gone through a renovation. We did not have a premium seating vertical. And so the opportunity to build that out from scratch was very appealing to me. And then I had some great mentors in my life that were telling me adding the, the skill set and the tool of ticketing to my, my uh, resume would be very wise for me at some point in time. And so, um, yeah, we built that out. We had a, a, a really, really fun summer selling our renovation. We spent $129 million and the renovation was done in like 129 days. Yeah, it was quick. It was, it was, uh, I, I tell people the story. We were swept that summer by the, the Warriors and literally no joke as our players were leaving within minutes, there were construction crews walking in the building and it was basically 24 hour construction for the next four months until the next NBA season rolled around. So it was incredibly rewarding. We obviously saw our we saw a, a nice revenue lift in year one. We really saw a massive revenue lift in subsequent seasons and learned a ton, made a few mistakes. Um, but, but all in all, you know, I think if you asked around the NBA, they would say the Utah Jazz had an incredibly successful building renovation and relaunch of Vivian Arena. No, absolutely. And from, from the renovation end, you know, a lot of people say it's, it's an awesome experience to go through a new build or a renovation how was going through that experience for you? Yeah, I learned a lot about people. You learn about your your foxhole people and who yeah. you just know absolutely under any certain circumstances that you want those people on your team. And so I, I learned a lot about people. I had one kind of really fun moment where myself and um, one of the people I work with, a gentleman named Chris Bailey, we were in the arena a couple of days before opening. And it was like two or three in the morning. And we were just, we were, we were getting some last minute things done. And it may have even been the day before we actually opened for our first preseason game. And we round the corner and our team president was also there. We didn't know he was there. He didn't know we were there. And he was there with one of our real estate guys that had kind of spearheaded the, the project. And it was just fun. Like we looked at each other, the building was pretty much done. And it's like, wow, we're all here still at like two or three in the morning grinding, yeah. trying to get this thing ready, ready to go. So, you know, and, and Trav, there were a ton of really difficult conversations for, for those of you in the ticketing world, we killed 240 seats below row eight in our six packs. Those are highly tenured season ticket They're, members yep. that have had their seats. Those for are a some really difficult long time. conversations. Those were incredibly difficult conversations and, and you almost become, we became numb to them on some circumstance, which was just an interesting experience, but it also, you know, you think about everything that's happened in the world, the last two years, we've got a lot of people on our staff still that went through that summer transition of the building renovation and it helped them feel like, well, I can have difficult conversations with people. Let's do this. We're good. Yeah. And so it, that, that's, I think what it taught us, it taught us we could do something that was kind of um, out of the ordinary, um, achieve some, some pretty crazy uh, metrics. And, and uh, it was great. It was a fantastic experience. No, that's awesome. And, you know, going back to, to selling and you went in and, and created that, 
with the right people, the premium department. And then I know you took the sponsorship approach to premium. And so how is that transition for you and not only selling premium product, but also leading that department as well? Yeah, I think all of us have to make a decision as we sell. Are we transactional or is this about relationships for us? And I think, um, I think largely in the ticketing space, I think at times we tend to be way too transactional. And so really on the premium side of things, we brought the approach of treating these like partnerships with people and that, and some of it was just window dressing in the way we actually talked about it yep. and talked about investment levels, not, Hey, you're just giving us your money for uh, your tickets. And, and then again, and this was obviously before Ryan bought the team, we really talked about experience. What does a premium member's experience look like on a game night? What's their journey from the time they leave their front door to the time they walk out of our arena? Yeah, the street and experience is key. A- absolutely. And so it's, it's those sorts of things. I think like um, hopefully it was a little bit of a different perspective, a different set of eyeballs that, that ultimately helped, helped us have some successful moments. Um, but you know, all of us have to make that decision. How much do we want our business to be of of our business? Do we want to be transactional and how much of it do we want to be relationship based? Because those relationships are what get you through when things are tough. That is for sure. And, you know, Chris, after you and the team just had a ton of success with the renovations, you then became VP of ticketing, then SVP, then the EVP, and now into the CRO role. And, you know, during your time and your tenure there, you mentioned you've held nine different roles. And so what do you feel like you personally have done on a consistent basis to continue to get promoted, you know, internally time and time again? Yeah, man, I've had, I've been super lucky to work with great people and my, I tell, I have a lot of college kids reach out to me and I have these conversations and my path will never be their path. Their path will never be my path. It's really hard to mimic those things. But I think there are, there are some things that you can look at as, as you're kind of building what your career is going to look like. And you got to always surround yourself with great people. I have phenomenal people on my team who care as much as I do. And in some circumstances, more than I do. And it's awesome. So those people are those foxhole people I talked about. And then, man, hard work, luck, and timing. There's no question about it. It is a recipe. Um, You fall into a few things. um, And you just, you you keep your nose down and just keep grinding. And there are some people that their path to, to, to where I'm at today, they may have to, to work for several different organizations. That's okay, too. Like, I've been fortunate to be here. There are some people in this day and age that actually look down upon the fact that I've been with one organization for as long as I have. And so it's, it's, it's all through uh, the lens in which you look, look at things. And I think it's a huge blessing. There's institutional knowledge here and it's institutional knowledge in several different areas in the business. And so like I I have relationships all the way across all of our partners, our ticketing folks, our premium folks. And so I'm personally really grateful that, that I've, I have been here 14 years because there is so much institutional knowledge. Absolutely. And I I love multiple things you said on it. You know, a couple of those that stood out is create your own path, right? Not every path has to be the same. You don't have to go up the same quote unquote corporate ladder as the next person, create your own path and, and journey. And I think the other thing you talked about, and this has been kind of a, you know, a constant theme of this podcast is people, 
you know, and going back to the value of people, you've continued to build teams for every role you've had. And so as you're building those most successful teams and thinking about those people that are in, you know, the foxhole with you, what are some of the key characteristics you're always looking for in the most successful people? Yeah, Trav, I show a video to people all the time. Frank Martin, the basketball coach at the University of South Carolina, who might be one of the scariest people in, in the United States of America, <laughs> by the way. He's got a great quote. South Carolina, who obviously hasn't achieved a lot of success in basketball over the years. A few years ago, they made it to the Final Four, and Sports Illustrated had a youth reporter at the Final Four. And they opened it for questioning, and I believe the young man's name was Max. And whoever the PR person was called on Max first to be the very first person to ask Frank Martin a question. And Frank Martin kind of looks around the room and then hones in on him. And Max asks him a great question. Frank Martin's teams, wherever he's been, Kansas State, South Carolina, one of their hallmarks has been how they played on defense. And he asks a question, says something, and I'm paraphrasing, but says something along the lines of your team played phenomenal on the defensive end tonight. When uh, you're teaching your team defense, what comes first, attitude or technique? And Frank Martin gives this incredibly eloquent response that I just have so valued since I saw it, where he just says, we have to find people with the right mentality and people who will buy in to our system. And when we find those people with those characteristics, we can teach them the technique. And I just love it. Like you find people with the right mentality. You know, at times you look at a resume And you can't see, like somebody could have the best resume on the planet, but you'll never know their mentality until you meet them and feel their energy and meet them as a human being. And I would just say like exactly what Frank Martin said, those characteristics, like I want people with toughness, grit, hustle. They're not intimidated by anybody. They're phenomenal teammates. They love to pass as much as they love to shoot. They care as much about the name on the front of the jersey as they do on the back of the jersey. All these goofy things I can say about that. Um, you can meet those people. Like we, we hired a woman this year who uh, works on our membership team that was previously a school teacher. Yep. She came from teaching elementary school kids. <laughs> That's not a traditional person in sports sales where you look at their resume, but our ticketing leadership team met her. And we're like, you've got the right characteristics to be fantastic on our membership team. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're going to train and develop and onboard people the right way. So as long as you have the right characteristics, everything else can be taught. Absolutely. We're not, this is not brain surgery, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's not. not. Well, you know, Chris, you as I think the listeners and every time I talk to you, you know, it certainly excites me because you have a ton of passion and you had a a great career and I feel like it's only getting started. So as you look back at at your 14 plus years there with the organization, what has been your best memory? Oh, best memory in my 14 years. Well, I hope it's this year and I hope it's watching our guys raise an NBA championship trophy uh, for our ownership group. I think that would just be and for our, our city. Yep. I think our, our city and the way our team su- is, is supported by our fans, that would be incredible. But I look back and there's no question it's people. I mean, the fact that, you know, I have a relationship with you uh, all the way across the country means a lot to me. There's people at a lot of different teams that I can call on. 
I'm, I'm going to a jazz road game next week. And it was so fun for me that I can reach out to a couple of people and immediately I've got plans for lunch and dinner and the game. Yep. And it's, it's pretty incredible to have those relationships and those people in your life. And so no, no doubt. That's what I will value most. Like you scrape this all the way at the end of the day, my kids aren't going to care that I was the chief revenue officer of the Utah jazz. They'll never care about that, but will they care if I'm a good father and I've developed relationships with them? And I would say it's the same thing about, you know, all the people that, that I work with on a day-to-day basis. Like they don't care what my title is. They care how I treated them, how I helped them along in their career and, and what I personally did for them. And I think that's what I, you know, again, going back to, I love about this conversation and, and I've always enjoyed our conversations because you are such a people first person and, and focus and it shows the type of person and type of leader you are. And so now going back to the beginning, and I'm sure you've, you've taught, you've been taught a lot of those growing up, but I kicked off 52 weeks of hustle by saying, just sell. And you started selling at a young age. You grew up 20 minutes from Salt Lake city. Your mother owned a business selling windows, blinds, and shutters, as you're playing sports growing up, you were selling pizzas and gift wrapping as a fundraiser. So you know, what were some of those key learning lessons and lessons in general early on that have really stuck with you throughout your life? Yeah, I it's anytime I talk about those sorts of things and I think about the foundation of of what my my mom and dad taught me in those circumstances, like it, it gives me goosebumps, frankly speaking, I, I can point to several women in my neighborhood that I would literally go around with a pamphlet for, for different types of gift wrap for presents and sell this to them. My family didn't have a ton of means to make uh, travel soccer and travel basketball tournaments happen for me. And so I had to take some initiative to do it on my own. And, and my mother was the person pushing me to the forefront in every circumstance. And so it was literally everything from walking around and, and having these women, and I'm talking like 10, 11, 12 years old, walking around my neighborhood by myself. My mom didn't come. My dad yeah. didn't come. Walking these women through this gift wrap of what they wanted to order. We'd then uh, drive the family minivan down. We'd fill the back of the minivan up with all this gift wrap, bring it back to the neighborhood. And I would literally cart it around in a wagon. A little, uh, and a little red wagon. To, Absolutely. The red wagon. And I had to I had to wrap them all with an invoice and did something very, very similar with uncooked pizzas. I'm sure all these people were like, who is this kid <laughs> and what the hell are his parents doing? Yeah. Um, but but it's been you know instilled what? In you. Absolutely, man. You, you, two summers ago, I uh, we, we had some actually it was last summer. We had some little boys walking around our neighborhood. I'm out mowing my lawn and they come by. And they're in, they're in ties and they're pulling a wagon. And I, so I stop and, and the, these kids go to my kid's local elementary school. And, and I said, Hey, what are you guys doing? And they're like, we're out selling candy bars. And I said, why? And they said, so we can buy cool stuff. And so I said, well, I need to buy some candy bars from you. Love and it. I just, you know, I will always, always reach back to those memories. Uh, and they really do help you uh, kind of recognize who you are and what you want to be. Yeah. So fast forward in about 12, 13 years, those kids are going to be starting an inside sales with the jazz, huh? I hope so. <laughs> well, you know, Chris, obviously, you know, selling has been in your blood, at, you know, at that point in life early on, you go on to attend the University of Utah and you chose to study and you ultimately receive a degree in political science. And 
hoping to be a trial lawyer. And as you're gaining real life experience in that, when did it dawn on you that, you know what, maybe I should probably do something what I'm very passionate about? Yeah. So a couple of things. I wanted to be a lawyer. If I would not have gone down the path of doing the trial lawyer thing, then um, I told everyone in high school that I wanted to work in the NBA. And I used to say that all the time. And it was like, I want to be the lawyer for the Utah Jazz or something like that. Yeah. And I worked at a law firm for four and a half years during my undergraduate in school. I have a brother-in-law who's a lawyer. And there wasn't probably a weekly basis that went by that one of the lawyers at the firm I worked at would say to me, dude, you don't want to do this. (laughs) And so, you know, just over time, some soul searching um, with my wife and it was like, okay, this isn't my path. I'm going to have to go figure something else out. And I had never planned on being a quote unquote salesperson. Relationships had always been really important to me. I even, I even think, um, you know, I think back to high school. I remember some of my friends' parents saying to me, um, I was almost better friends with my friends' parents than I were my friends. I would go to their house and like hang out and talk to their mom and dad. And yep. so those connections and being a connector and connecting people and owning relationships uh, was always something really, really important to me. And I'm the youngest in my family. And so my mom and dad carted me around to a lot of things where I was in contact with a lot of adults. And so from a very young age, talking to adults, I was very comfortable doing it. And um, so, yeah, here I am today. I, awesome. I wouldn't trade, I wouldn't trade my career path and what, what I've done for with anybody's it's, it's unique to me. And, and I'm so grateful for all the people who've obviously helped me get to where I'm at. No, absolutely. And you kind of mentioned that. And I think it's the next great point of advice that you can provide is what is your advice to the listeners on finding that passion and just go for it, regardless of what path they may be on. You know, you saw that through throughout your trial lawyer experience and maybe even through your sponsorship selling experience, but what's your advice to listeners on that? Yeah, you really do have to develop some self-awareness over time. And I think um, it's it's constantly something I'm thinking about, like, what part of the problem am I? Am I being self-aware right now? Those sorts of things. And I, I think as you really hone in and focus on becoming self-aware, you also will know where your blind spots are, where your gaps are, and and what you need to do to, to make those better. And so... If, if you can establish self-awareness, like at the core and at the foundation of what you're doing, I think it's really, you can establish what your hierarchy of goals and values and principles are. And, and, and putting, going so far as to put those on paper, I think is really important. And then it's really a pro and con scenario where you're comparing whatever your current role is. Does it meet my hierarchy of values? Yep. And you know, and those evolve over time. Like my hierarchy of values may change the older I get and as my family evolves and those sorts of things. And so it's something to continually update and make sure that those things, again, I talked about aligning and pacing earlier, make sure that your values match the pace at which your career's going. And there's times like I'm super busy. I've got four young children. I don't like missing things for my family. I really don't. Um, because of what I said earlier, at the end of the day, my kids aren't going to care what I did for a living. My kids are going to care if I was a great father. 
And so making sure that those values align with the pace in which I'm moving. And that's a constant give and take to make sure I'm, I'm living the way I should. Absolutely. And Chris, you, you've obviously had a great career, certainly on the professional side. And you're also a husband and father of four young kids. And I know the importance for you and the rest of the Utah Jazz is ensuring that you're spending valuable time with family, not missing some of their events and their games. So what is your advice on having that balance in life? Yeah, it's again, establishing where your values are at. Like at the end of the day, um, you can't, we, we've, for those of us working in professional sports, we have really fun jobs and we talk about this a lot. Every new employee that starts with us, um, I, I like to usually have a sit down conversation with them, talk to them about why they want to be with Utah. Like, why'd you select Utah? Why'd you select the jazz? And, and I usually end up giving them some sort of uh, a diatribe about not letting this job define who they are. These jobs can be taken from us. And if, if your entire uh, existence is centered around the fact that you work in professional sports or for the jazz, I, I think you can get out of balance a little bit. And so it, there's a lot of self-talk that has to go on. I mean, there's a lot of conversations about, about mental um, health right now. We did something really cool. It'll actually be three years ago in January. We hired a mental performance coach for our sponsorship or for our ticketing sales department. And now the, the same gentleman and his team are working with our sponsorship sales department. And he's given us from the very beginning incredible tools uh, to make sure we're grounded, that we're performing at a really high level. He's not a clinical psychologist or anything like that. He's a mental performance coach. And that, that's been huge. He's been a huge advocate and, and uh, somebody that's been great for me to talk to. And it's all those things. If you surround yourself with great people, um, like having an unreasonable friend that will always tell you the truth, you'll probably be in a really great place. Absolutely. Well, Chris, this has been great. What a great story. Great career thus far. And to close it out, I'd like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? Sure. All right. If you have to sing karaoke, what song are you choosing? Um, I would not try to sing it like he did because I would never do it justice. But Three Little Birds by Bob Marley. Nice. Love it. Go, go read the lyrics of it. It'll put you in a really good mood. All righty. What is the last thing on your bucket list that you've completed? Yeah. Um, last thing on my bucket list. I would say COVID's obviously put a little bit of a wrench in that, but <laughs> yeah. one that immediately pops into my head. I took my son to a Duke basketball game at Cameron Indoor Stadium a couple of years ago. Absolutely nice. on my sports bucket list. And the experience was everything I could have hoped for and more. It was incredible. That's awesome. If you have your own late night talk show, who do you invite as your first guest? Um, this is might be controversial for all my friends in Utah, but it would have to be MJ. No question <laughs> about it. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't ask him about the shot he hit over Brian Russell or anything like that, but just it, it, it would be MJ for sure. Yeah. Just a good conversation. Well, to close it out, what are three key takeaways you'd give every listener to be in your shoes one day? Three key takeaways. Okay. Um, so number one, I would say to absolutely embrace pressure in your life. Um, it's something I say a lot to people. Pressure is a privilege. Embrace pressure. Um, if you don't have pressure on you, you may not be where you should be. 
Um, It's, it's something that I think as human beings, I think we're genetically predisposed to actually want having a little bit of pressure on us. And I think, you know, the endorphins kick in and everything like that and, and how we can feel again, and th- this would be number two, people have to view pressure through the context of understanding risk and reward in their lives and their risk portfolio. Somebody shouldn't take on too much pressure that's going to make their risk portfolio too big. So yep. that would be number one, embrace pressure. It's, it's an absolute pr- privilege to have pressure in your life. Number two would be a little bit like we already talked about, understanding that risk reward relationship between um a risk portfolio and how you should ultimately be taking risks in your life. And then number three, I would say you've got to just surround yourself with great people and people that are going to push you, that are going to always tell you the truth, um, that want what you want, but may not come from the same background. I'm so grateful for all the conversations that have been going on about DE and I and making sure that, that, um, we're, we're hearing people that are different than us, where everyone thinks a lot like not much thinking goes on. And so having people with a different lens and a different set of circumstances than me in my life has been really, really beneficial. No, and that's awesome. I think they all go hand in hand, which is the constant theme of this podcast is, is people. You work around the right people. You'll understand how to embrace the pressure how to focus on the risk and reward and and ultimately have a a great career like yourself. And so, Chris, thank you so much. Uh, What a great career journey you've had. I certainly appreciate your time, your expertise, and certainly always a pleasure to, to talk to you. Trav, you're the best, man. Thanks for your time. Again, this is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle. Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week. 